0: All of chapter 24, 23 and 24. Here for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. Why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? And why do those who know him never see his days? Some move landmarks. They seize flocks and pasture them. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They thrust the poor off the road. The poor of the earth all hide themselves. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go out for their toil, seeking gain. The wasteland yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field, and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie all night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the rain of the mountains and cling to the rock for lack of shelter. There are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast, and they take a pledge against the poor. They go about naked without clothing. Hungry, they carry the sheaves. Among the olive rows of the wicked, they make oil. They tread the wine presses, but suffer thirst. From out of the city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help. Yet God charges no one with wrong. There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its paths. The murderer rises before it is light, that he may kill the poor and needy, and in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me, and he veils his face. In the dark they dig through houses. By day they shut themselves up. They do not know the light, for deep darkness is morning to all of them, for they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. You say, swift are they on the face of the waters. Their portion is cursed in the land. No treader turns toward their vineyards. Drought and heat snatch away the snow waters. So does Sheol, those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. The worm finds them sweet. They are no longer remembered, so wickedness is broken like a tree. They wrong the barren, childless woman and do no good to the widow. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security, and they are supported, and his eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted a little while and then are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. If it is not so, who will prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? Thanks be to God for his holy word. When everything is going good, when we are surrounded by light, we feel as if everything is falling into place as they should. When we're walking in Eden, so to speak, in our spiritual walk, we tend to find it easy to seek the Lord. But how seldom is the case that we seek the Lord in the dark when life gets hard and we face various challenges to our faith. But just as Jesus told his disciples, he tells you and I that we should not be anxious, but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because we now belong to that kingdom and we will soon see that kingdom manifest itself before our very eyes. Now, our struggle is found in waiting for that kingdom to come and fully manifest itself. Our struggle is found in waiting for that kingdom while living in a fallen world. And in the meantime, we are also a mixed bag, much like Job was. Job has gone back and forth throughout this book between blaming God and longing for God. And in our text this morning, he asks, Where is God? Have you ever asked that question before? Whether you or someone you love is suffering? Or maybe you're going through a difficult time in your relationships, you realize that you have more enemies than you have friends. Maybe you look at the state of the world and all of the wickedness and you ask, Where is God? You sense as if God and His righteousness are absent. You long for God and His justice. Though this is not the only test, but it is a good test for Christian maturity. What are your deepest longings and what or who are you seeking? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Now, we know that Job is not perfect and he has been on a slow decline since the beginning of this book. But we must affirm with the word of the Lord that Job was not suffering because of sin. But he sinned because he was suffering. And his sin comes out more and more until finally he is rebuked. But for now, he genuinely asks the question that every believer asks at some point or another... Where is God and his kingdom? Where is his righteousness? We all begin to say with the psalmist as he repeatedly says, How long, O Lord? When Jesus taught us to pray, he also taught us what ought to be our desires when he said that we are to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our constant prayer. Because right now, and as long as we live in this world, we are to recognize that His kingdom has not fully come and His will has not been completely done on earth as it is in heaven, especially within us. But we are still to pray for that day when His kingdom comes and His will is done. And we are to live in light of that day We are to look forward to that day. This is what was on the heart of Job as he was first seeking God. Secondly, as he was seeking him to vindicate the righteous. And also thirdly, as he was seeking God to punish the wicked. First, he was seeking God. He longed for God. His desire was to stand before God and be counted As righteous. This was his greatest desire. More than his desire to see his children again. And more than his desire to see his health and his wealth restored. Because as he suffered his friends falsely accused him of sin. So he desired to be cleared of all false accusations. And here he is refusing to accept his friend's charge that he deserved his suffering. He says... Today also, or even now, his complaint is bitter and his hand is heavy, unable to move because of his suffering and on account of his groaning. He desires what every child of God desires from the heavy toil of this life. As Paul expresses, that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When our bodies will be made perfect to stand before God, he cries out, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. The expression, Oh, that, is repeated in the book of Job more than any other book in the Bible. And this indicates to us his deepest longings. If he only knew where God was, because his desire was to find God, that he might even approach his seat, or better, his throne. He desires to come before God's throne of grace to argue his case before him. Here he talks through what would happen if he was ever to meet with God. And the first thing to notice is that Job is confident. He is confident that God would answer him. He is confident that he would understand what God would say to him. And he is confident that God would be attentive to his plea. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. Why? Because in his presence, an upright man could argue with him. Who is this upright man? Job is speaking of himself. And he says, after he argues his case with God, I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Now, do we have such confidence? Do we have such boldness before God? How many of us would say, in all honesty... That if we were to stand before the judge of the universe right now, we would be able to argue our case before him and be acquitted. I would guess that many of us do not have this kind of confidence. You're probably saying to yourself, I have too much sin. I cannot approach God's throne. But a good question to ask at this point is, Why is Job confident that he would be acquitted? Well, we must go back to Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. When Job was confident that he had a heavenly mediator. He had someone to stand between him and the judge. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And because my Redeemer lives, then that means I will also live in the presence of God, justified. But Job shares another problem, which is that he seeks God, but he does not find Him to reason with Him. He does not see His face. He does not see His grace and favor. Eliphaz said that if Job repented... He will be able to lift his face to him. But Job says, I have been seeking God this whole time, but I can't find him. Behold, I go forward, which can also be translated as I go east, but he is not there. And backward or west, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, that is north, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand or south, but I do not see him. Everywhere that he turns in this chaotic and fallen world. He cannot find God and he does not see his kingdom before his eyes. And this has been the truth about the world since Adam and Eve fell into sin. And they were cast out from the presence of the Lord. And the curse of death fell upon Adam and all of his descendants. Because in the presence of the Lord there is life And everlasting joy and rest. But that is not what Job was experiencing. And we all can relate to this. At some point or another. At the moment we do not see God. God is invisible. Not only because it is one of his attributes. But also because we do not see the manifestation of his kingdom to its full extent. Secondly. Job is seeking God to vindicate the righteous. In other words, to vindicate Him. Though he does not see God, yet he is confident that He will be cleared of all charges in His presence. He says, much like David would say in Psalm 1, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Job was an upright and blameless man who feared the Lord and walked in the way of the Lord. And he is confident that if he is tried by God, that he will come out as gold, refined by fire. He professed that his foot never slipped, but his foot held fast to his steps in the way of the Lord, and that he never turned aside. He never departed from God's commandments. And in response to Eliphaz, who told Job to humbly receive the words of God's mouth, Job says that he has treasured the words of his mouth more than his portion of food. He is a man who walked by faith in the Lord with a clear conscience. But there is another problem. Not only is God invisible, but He is also unchangeable. The strict translation of the word unchangeable ought to remind us of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just as when Job sought the Lord, he could not be found. Job is confident that he would be vindicated by the Lord. But at the same time, God is unchangeable or God is one. This means he has one will. So he does not change his mind. Who can turn him back? Which is absolutely true. God doesn't change and he doesn't relent. So to Job, this means whatever God appointed for him, he will complete. And by the looks of it, it doesn't look good for Job. God appointed for Job to suffer, so there must be more to come. There must be more on God's mind. And so to Job, it doesn't matter if he is righteous or not. Job has no confidence that his suffering will end because God is one and he is unchangeable. And since God is inaccessible, And unchangeable, Job is terrified at the presence of God. When he thinks about it, he is in dread of Him. He is not just terrified by what else might happen to him, but he is terrified of God Himself. He claims that God has made his heart faint, and the Almighty has terrified him with the terrors of His wrath. Though Job is mistaken at many points in his reasoning, We ought to be reminded, as the author of Hebrews warns, that our God is a consuming fire and he is to be feared. Although Job is terrified of God, his confidence does not seem to be phased, as he says, Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. In the Bible, darkness is often associated with death, destruction, and evil while light is associated with life, goodness, and holiness. So although darkness surrounds Job on every side and prevents him from seeing God's face, he is still confident that he will be vindicated by God. See, a a healthy fear of God would mean that our confidence to approach Him is always mixed with trembling and fear. But the fear that Job has of God is because he is convinced that God is against him and this will never change. He is buying into the lies told by his friends. But the truth of the matter is, since God is one and that he is unchangeable, this means his favor will never change for Job. And this should have solidified Job's confidence. But there is another problem growing here. Job will later be confronted because he justified himself rather than God. Instead of justifying God's ways, he will seek to challenge God's ways. So thirdly, Job is seeking God to punish the wicked. Because at this moment, he does not see the wicked punished as he expected. He asks, Why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? And why do those who know Him never see His days? Why are the wicked getting away with evil while the righteous suffer? The righteous are longing for the day when all will be made right. But while they are waiting, they are asking, When will judgment day come? God is prolonging the judgment of the wicked. Because along with vindicating himself, he also desires that the wicked be punished. And he is confident that day will come. But for whatever reason, it is not yet. God is prolonging that day. And it is not coming as soon as it should come. Well, according to Job. And he gives reasons why the Lord ought to judge the wicked. As Job was himself a judge... He is a reliable witness. He knows what the wicked man does. He says that some oppress the weakest of society while others break his commands. First, because some oppress the weakest of society. These are the greedy and the rich who are always seeking for more and they will do whatever it takes to get more even taking from those who cannot defend themselves, committing crimes against the poor, the orphans, and widows. They use their power to move landmarks or property lines, which will later be forbidden in Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 19. They seize livestock and farm animals, which people need to survive. They take the donkey from the fatherless children who have been left with a heavy burden to help out around the home, Because their father either left or died. They take the widow's ox for a pledge or contract. Knowing that the widow would not be able to fulfill its terms. They thrust the poor off the road. The poor of the earth all hide themselves. They are reduced from being made in the image of God with dignity to becoming like animals in the wild, wild donkeys in the desert, scavenging for food in the wastelands to feed their children. They gather their food in the field and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They're doing whatever it takes to survive. Mind you, this description is the reality in many third world countries even today. They lack food, shelter, and clothing necessary to sustain life all because of the greed of the wicked man. They lie around without clothing all night and have no covering in the cold. They are exposed to nature, so when the rain comes, they get wet, which may lead to serious illness and death. They cling to the rock for lack of shelter. The rock here may be alluding to the Lord, who is their only rock of salvation. But according to Job... God is nowhere to be found. These wicked men even make contracts with the widows to snatch their fatherless children from their mother's breasts and sell them into slavery. We know of many countries today that still profit from child slave labor. We think of our own country and the horrors and evil of child trafficking. And these children work in the fields, hungry and thirsty, with no clothing, carrying sheaves of grain, working among the olive rows, making oil and treading the wine press. They work for their slave masters to make food and drink, yet they themselves lack food and drink. From out of the city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one with wrong. Where is God? When will he judge the greedy? Will he hear the cry of the needy? Now we know from Scripture that God hears the cries of his people. James points forward to the day of God's judgment when he warns, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What a warning for the unjust. Second, he ought to judge the wicked because others break his commands. These commands are revealed by the light of nature, God's other book. They rebel against this light They are not acquainted with the ways of God and do not stay in its paths. Here he speaks of the murderer, the adulterer, and the thief, those who break the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandments revealed in God's law, which is later given to Moses. The murderer hides himself in the darkness like a thief, committing his evil acts in secret before sunrise, that he may kill the poor and the needy. The same goes for the adulterer who follows the desires of his eyes because he is filled with insatiable lusts. He hides his face and he believes that no one will see him at night. He is a practical atheist, thinking that God won't see him as he sneaks around going after someone else's spouse. The thief also waits for the dark to dig through houses, taking what is not his. And then by day, You don't see any of them anymore. They lock themselves up in their homes, waiting for the sun to set to go out again and commit the same sins. They do not know the light. For deep darkness is mourning to all of them. For they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. In other words, they are lovers of evil and children of wrath. Though we can look at this description and think of a long list of people out there in the world. But this is yet another description of the natural man. This is the course of life of everyone who does not know God. This is us by nature. Everyone described here lies somewhere in all of our hearts. Whenever we hear the law being expounded, it ought to draw us to look to ourselves honestly, and humbly as those who ought to be condemned with the rest of the wicked. For we have broken the law in all of these ways, if not physically, in our hearts in some form or fashion. Paul says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, sons of disobedience until there was divine intervention. And even with that divine intervention, we have a long way to go, don't we? But Job says, according to what he sees, this wickedness goes on and on without divine intervention. We wonder at times, why does the Lord allow evil and evil people to reign on this earth? Why does he allow God's enemies to rule and persecute his people without worldly punishments? Think of all the the corrupt governments right now who are persecuting his people. We see wars like that in Ukraine. And we wonder, isn't God the one who makes wars to cease? Why hasn't that war ceased? Job goes on to summarize what his friends have been saying about the lives of the wicked. He says, you say... Swift are they on the face of the waters, their lives come and go like a mist. You say their portion, their wealth, their possessions, their families are all cursed in the land. The treader who treads the winepress turns from their vineyard. They are here today, gone tomorrow because the drought and heat snatch away the snow waters as they evaporate. The soul who sins shall die, Ezekiel 18.20 as the Lord promises. And they are forgotten. The mother who bore them forgets them. The worm that eats their corpse finds them sweet. They are no longer remembered, so wickedness is broken like a tree. Once a tree breaks, it has no hope of being reborn. Now he reminds them of how wicked they are by saying that they wrong even the childless woman, and they do no good to the widow. what is surprising is that Job agrees with them. He says, you're right. They are exalted a little while, then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. But he qualifies this by saying, yes, they die like everyone else. But by his power, God prolongs the life of the mighty in this world. Where is this judgment that you have been speaking of? They still rise up high in their pride. But there will come a day when they will despair. He gives them security, and they are supported. And His eyes are upon their ways. He is saying, yes, they will die. They will face judgment. But they live their best life now. He is confident that there will come a day of judgment for the wicked. But by all appearances... God has blessed them with so much life in this world and little to no punishment. There are no repercussions. There is no system of justice put in place to deal with them. They go to death, but they prosper while they live. They die in old age, but Job is suffering in the prime of his life despite his righteousness, despite his good deeds. So he finally issues his challenge. If it is not so, who will prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? He will continue in this downward spiral until his challenge is answered. But until then, let us consider what Job has said in our text. As we are living in this world, how are we to seek God? even though we do not see him and we do not see his ways. And what are some corrections that we can make of Job's observations here? Well, we must first recognize that, yes, God is a consuming fire, and sin cannot enter his holy presence. He cast out Adam and Eve from Eden because of their sin. But the Christian. Can draw near to God's throne of grace. And seek him with confidence. Why? What are the grounds of our confidence? Well the grounds of our confidence. Is twofold. First it is found. In the attributes of God. And secondly. In what God has accomplished. In Christ Jesus. First. We can have confidence because although God is invisible, He cannot be seen, yet He is ever present with us. God has promised throughout Scripture that He would be with His people. And He has provided various manifestations of His presence to reassure us, like when He appeared in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night, to guide His people in their exodus. And the greatest manifestation of his presence was in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And yes, he is not here at the moment, but as Peter says, this is where you will be tested. You will go through various trials, awaiting his return, to test the genuineness of your faith. That though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Secondly, we can draw near to God's throne of grace with confidence because God is one and He does not change. He does not change. Job feared this, but it ought not to be a source of fear for us. It ought to be a source of comfort and confidence for the believer. God cannot be moved. Because since God is one, and He does not change, so His promises will not change for the believer. His gospel, good news, will not change. So rest in His promises. Thirdly, our confidence to approach God's throne is founded ultimately in what Christ has done for us and what He is doing for us right now. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose His love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the wicked man. He died for the murderer, the adulterer, and the thief in all of us. So now we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every respect yet without sin. And it was through the curtain that is, His flesh, that He opened a new and living way for us to gain access to the presence of God. As children of God, we have the privilege to seek God at any time in prayer. When we see ourselves unworthy to approach Him, remember Christ. Remember Christ and how He has made you worthy to approach Him. When you sense that you do not have a longing for God. Approach him anyway. Approach him anyway. By the virtue of the blood of the lamb. Pray that he would give you this longing. And replace your stony heart. With a heart of flesh. That he would grant you a longing for his righteousness. Fourthly. We ought to strive To make our calling and our election sure. Because those who have been forgiven much, love much. They bear fruit. Peter says that we are to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we are to live for the last day, for the sake of our own assurance and confidence, for the sake of our joy. For when Jesus does return and separates the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, Because concerning that day and hour, no one knows. But get this, the judgment day of God is good news. It is good news. It is the gospel. This is the day when Jesus Christ will return, not to deal with sin. He already did that on the cross. But he will return to save those who are eagerly waiting for him those who cry out, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. He will come for those who pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Or in other words, come, Lord Jesus. Because all debts will be settled on that day. Amen.